Hello and welcome back to The Longest Battle podcast. I'm very lucky to say that this week I'm here with Alex Cavossiero. He is an international rugby legend. After playing at a world-class level, he has just hung up his rugby boots. Recurring injuries have led to an early retirement. Thankfully, he's agreed to tell me his story. So where, where are you actually from? Well, I'm a little bit of a mix. So I was born in New York. Um, I moved to England when I was four and a half. Mm-hmm. I grew up in England till I was 27 and then now the last almost two years have been predominantly based back in the States between okay. sort of New York and Florida. Very nice. Um, and yeah, my, my dad's an Italian-American and my mum's English but by Irish parents. So a lot going on there on the family tree. So where do you feel like you're from though? That's the question. This is what I always I feel like I'm a hybrid is <laughs> how I, I say it because I just don't think you can put like definitively put everything in one camp. Yeah. I just think there's so much like we- woven in my sort of, you know, my DNA of, of all, uh, I've just been around all three. I've spent most summers in America since I was a kid. I've got an American father. I've been in England. I've got an Irish wider family. I've got an Italian American family. <laughs> I'm kind of like a hybrid. And, and it's just like a big mix of it all. And it's kind of come together to where I'm at. Do I have affiliations with America? God, yes. Do I bleed for England? massively especially when it comes to rugby yeah, yeah and then and then you know you talk about italy there's always going to be a, a small affiliation there and ireland because of my mom's family so there's always a little bit going right, on but it's yeah. kind of good because then you can always pick and choose so you've always usually got someone to root for as well yeah nice definitely nice so tell me about your career so my rugby career well if rugby for me started at age five okay. so i moved to america i was four and a half uh, moved in the beginning of a school year, in the middle of a school year. Didn't quite, I didn't know anyone, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad, who was just, who'd come over, the reason we come over for him, who was working in banking, his friends recommended to take me down to a local rugby club. Mm-hmm. Um, good way for him to hang out with some of the dads and me to make friends. And I played at that same club, KCSL Boys, from age five till age 13 with the same group of lads. And the only reason it stopped is we didn't have enough players to continue so the core group of us moved to another right. another team eventually but um and I've played I played rugby ever since never really got the recognition that maybe at junior level like the sort of school level that a lot of people who then go on to make it got I kind of was off the radar a lot of that was possibly because the school I went to possibly the clubs mm-hmm. I played for weren't like traditional powerhouse clubs but at 17 um through absolute luck really got picked up by London Irish's Academy um, uh-huh. and from there it went quite well London Irish Academy played England Academies played England under 18s got offered a full time contract at the end of my my school which was 17 um, went full time at 17 just before I turned 18 played London Irish played England 19s England 20s Saxons England seniors seniors Lions uh, eventually moved to Northampton Saints, and that's kind of where my career finished, really, okay. in uh, 2015 to early 2016 is when I sort of retired as yeah. such. And uh, that's kind of the the journey. There's a lot of detail along the way, but th- mm. that's the rough sort of blueprint of where it started and where it got to. So what would you say is your proudest moment? Proudest moment is the 2013 Lions. I just think it's hard to dispute that um, for me. Uh, there's been other pinnacle moments along the way but that one just has the, the the highest peak in my eyes just because of the occasion how special the lions is once in four years the 
the impact I felt I was able to have in that series and mm. and to help sort of swing the balance, which for me is you know something I'm very proud of to this day. And also it was probably the last time I stepped on the field without probably the injuries that ended my career, if that makes sense. Mm. It was the last time where I walked on the field and it wasn't my body I was worrying about, but it was just purely the game, if that made sense. Right. And I think that moment I was able to display enough of what I was... It wasn't a perfect game, but it was as close to... A, perfect game as I think I've played and it was at the highest the most important game of my career I put my best performance out so that kind of all encompassing allows me to pick that as my favorite moment okay great and so tell me about your injuries um well I I was unfortunate I had quite a few injuries along the way uh predominantly were knee injuries which were just cartilage uh wear and tear based injuries meniscus because of my size, my position, some of my body mechanics mm. were sort of more susceptible to that. And, you know, those injuries were things I was aware of along the way. And um, that you're always managing them, looking after them. There'd been setbacks along the way. But I kind of knew what I was in for. And it wasn't until after Lions, I moved to Northampton Saints. I probably should have taken more time off. Right. Uh, mm. But you're joining a new team. You're on a good contract. It's a big move. You feel inclined to go there as soon as possible, really. Um, ended up playing what I think now on reflection way too early in preseason. And I just picked up a, a knee injury in one of those games that was different to what I'd had. Right. Um, and it kind of was the beginning of the downfall, if that made sense. Like, like I cracked part of my tibia, um, which then was affecting something else in my knee. And because I didn't, I was too stubborn to pull back then because I, I just didn't want any more setbacks. And then I, and I was at a new team and I, I just, gritted my teeth and got through it for too long to the point that it was almost so bad it was very bad and then I hurt it even worse in a game and mm. then it got even more bad it's more like I don't want to go into the little details because but basically there's a patch on my femur now through another incident which doesn't have any cartilage just based yeah. on one off tackle incident which then that completely changed sort of the mechanics of one of my knees and that mm. meant that it was just I could still play, from that moment on, I could still play rugby, um, but it was incredibly painful and more mm. limited than I was before. And that was why I stopped playing, was more the ability that I couldn't be as good as I was before than the fact that I couldn't still be okay or good at rugby, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I still went on from that injury about two years of perseverance or stubbornness or whatever you want to call it. And there were still some highs along the way. I just deep down knew that, forever on rugby would be painful for me just based on yeah. some of the things I had to deal with and forever on there's just certain things I wouldn't be able to do anymore mm. and a lot of that was the training in the week which stopped me getting any better as well yeah so did you have to do every every week you had to like train all the time yeah so that's injuries. the problem when you have when you have wear and tear injuries yeah you just are the the schedule of rugby is just relentless it's all year round it's tons of running it's there's no real downtime to rest and recuperate the only way you can really balance is, is trying to do less training in the week so you're okay for the games. But then that inherently over time affects your performance with less ability to train. So then you yeah. get a, you know, you've got diminishing returns. You're trying to, instead of trying to get like better consistently now, the game plan changes to how do we almost just try and keep what you've got for as long as possible, if that makes sense. And mm. just like hold it together instead of, building forward anymore and those were the changes in dynamics that I just couldn't I didn't take very well yeah so do your injuries still cause you problems now or? so 
This is what I say is I'll be forever aware of my injuries for the rest mm. of my life. Yeah. Um, they're part of my life, who I am. Mm. But at the same time, I'm pretty fortunate of the functionality that I have. I'm still pretty athletic. I can still do a lot of things. Um, I just probably am not at the best I've ever been, <clears throat> which was someone who's a little bit obsessive and, you know, OCD focused and driven and aimed at a to goal. To be so high at your it's, game. Yeah, you it's just to hard to, focused. it was just hard to deal with that. It was, an, it was an uncontrollable that I found hard to let go of, if that makes sense. That because be before I could do things and then I now couldn't and I would have to use my experience, my brain, my, you know, learning to be smart and adapt but there was mm. just only so much and the mm. game kept on evolving as well and getting harder and you'd have to do more than you were doing before but I could almost do less because of what I was it was a frustrating time in my life I'd say so rugby is such a aggressive game did you find yourself being immune to the pain so this is what I think about it is um I don't think I'm you're immune to the pain it's it's a it's a tough sport there's bangs there's bruises what you do is you became you became almost able to tolerate pain or mm. or I was personally I think I was able to tolerate pain and um, desensitize myself mm. to it and almost normalize it like if that broken nose and noses or ears or wrists or bumps or even just swollen knees I'd say that for every week you know I'd have a swollen knee or two knees for half of the week or the whole time and you know that, that walking around if anyone's ever walked around with a swollen knee it kind of feels like yeah. your knees full and like pressure and dead like all these little things you end up actually trying to desensitize yourself to because they're just a reality of playing that sport because mm. you're so obsessively or well, I was anyway obsessively focused on mm. one goal and going forward that that's kind of some of the white noise around the side that you eventually kind of dial out to keep going forward if that yeah. makes sense that's how I say is like I don't think you just able to ignore it you're just able to sort of tolerate it mm. and then you have it's not going to get better that's no. the thing no it's only in the playing. off season or rest is the times where it gets better and those are so few and far between that it can be a long time before you get some rest was there a moment when you realized that your injuries were life changing uh yeah i think there was i think um there's a few moments probably there was the the injuries i picked up there was a time that i thought once I did the initial injury to try and fix it and it was painful and it was more at the time I was trying to keep going just because I didn't want to lose my place. I wanted to build on what I'd done. I'd had injuries before. I just was too eager to be out there that I should have pulled back a lot sooner. I kind of eventually that led to me having quite a major surgery and uh, I remember going to sleep and thinking, well, at least I'll wake up and eventually it'll be better, if that makes sense. Mm. And I remember waking up in the hospital at like midnight thinking wow it's way later than it was supposed to be for my operation and basically the, I was supposed to speak to the surgeon that night but he'd gone home mm. because it just been so late and that was because my knee was so much worse than they thought when they opened it and they just hadn't realized how much like how much I'd been pushing through mm. and um it took them an extra four or five hours to do what they needed to do mm. and so um I didn't know that at the time and the nerd, and I so I eventually just read my chart sheet, which was sitting in there, and it had all this extra stuff, and I didn't know exactly what it meant. But when I started reading it, I started to getting quite worried because I knew that wasn't. An, I'm quite a thorough person. I knew yeah. exactly what I was supposed to have done, and I'd had a bunch of knee surgery at that point. And when I started reading everything else, I was starting to get a little worried. And then I had that overnight sort of anxiety in the hospital bed, waiting to find out. Then I spoke to a surgeon, and he finally debriefed me, and I was quite upset then, but. That's life. I still kind of felt with enough time and rehab, it would get better. Mm. But then um, 
once I got back to eventually back to it was a long road back the first two and a half three months I couldn't put my foot on the ground and I'd spent eight hours in a day in a machine that bent it forward and backwards and the only thing that really kept you going through that was the feeling of it being normal eventually but when I came back I just realized it wasn't ever normal it was just enough it was okay mm -hmm. enough to do but it was incredibly painful just to run to jump to push anything you just had to you just had to take it out. And, and I took quite a while to come back from that knee injury. But on hindsight, I think part of that was me probably waiting for it to get better. Yeah. And it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. and, and it never did. And I just had to deal with it. Even now, there's stuff from that injury that aren't better that I deal with. And it was kind of that moment after the first couple of sessions trying to run and jump yeah. where it was so painful and it felt so not how it used to feel. And it felt exactly how it felt at times before the surgery that I kind of just reflected and was quite defeated. Like I knew that it, I, I, I forever was chasing. I went to Zurich and had stem cells done. I did a lot of things trying to chase it, but there was probably the moment where I accepted that that was, that was, was hard, yeah. very hard because you keep it secret. You don't want people to know. Mm. But then when you go back into environments, people, it's obvious. Yeah. You know, you used to be the they best can't... in the world or one of the best in the world and a beast. And now you're just, you kind of run with a limp or you move around, mm. you know, it's just not the same, you know? And so, it was a it was a hard thing for me to to, to come to terms with. How, how many operations have you had in the past? Then like loads. Ten in total. I ten. Think. Wow. Ten over a ten year career professional. Wow. Is that is that normal? I think that's on the highest scale. I think I'm on the <laughs> highest scale. I think as much as I'd love to say, oh. you know, everyone gets injured in rugby, they do. Yeah. I think I was on the more the probability of the unlucky side of how many sort of. Uh, larger injuries I had, like long-term injuries back-to-back -back or come back for a few months, get another one, seemed to be mm. the the issues with me. So when did you know it was time to retire for you? So this is kind of like the grey area of I wasn't quite sure if I was going to retire or not. I just knew that based on a lot of what we talked about, physically I was pretty frustrated, but really I was more mentally burnt out. Mm. I'd been dealing with all those injuries, the pain, the stress... The main thing that kept me going was the 2015 World Cup and trying to get to that, the home World Cup. But mm. two years out, I'd proved I, I, you know, I could have been a vital part in that campaign, but really my body had kind of robbed me. But I was still fighting as hard as I could with everything I had. Mm. And when I didn't get into that at the end, and a lot of that was because I hurt myself in the summer, but it wasn't the actual knee injury that I had. It was more the other parts of my body that were overcompensating to try and keep up with everyone else. Um, that would have to work harder than maybe the areas that I had injuries on. They were the ones that started to let me down. But anyway, even if I hadn't had those injuries, I don't think I would have I would have got picked. And if I had got picked, there's no way I could play as well as I would have two years before that. So it was it was initially mentally once I didn't get picked, I just I couldn't re refire the engine up for that next goal like yeah. the world cup had been a four-year goal and there'd mm. be some brutal injuries on the way but i fought through like a savage mm. to at least be there it came and it went england bombed out i'd still stayed kind of ready or trying to stay ready to be in case he got called in a late injury or something didn't happen after that went back to northampton saints and i just didn't have the drive that i would normally have i'm an, i'm an obsessive i'm all in mm. i give it everything it's everything i think about it's everything i do i give every ounce that's why I can get emotional at times because I know I commit everything to it. I just didn't have it. Yeah. I didn't have that. I'd, 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 str I'd burnt it out. And so initially I told my club my contract was end of the season. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not resigning anyway. I'm taking six months or a year out. Like I'm mm -hmm. just, I can't see a time where I just, I'm ready to just go again yet. So I need a bit of time. 
So initially thinking, oh, well, it's a break or a sabbatical and yeah. you'll come back. So the, the retirement word hadn't quite floated in my head, if that makes sense. Mm. I was aware of a lot of things, but I was also a little bit in denial of a lot of things that like maybe I thought more time out would bring me back to 100% and nice, I'd come back. Yeah. So then it was, all right, you're in the real world now. What do you do? And there was a few, you know, try a few things at the time. I worked at a startup for a little while. I, I did some media. I did a few different things. Still did some of the commercial rugby stuff. I coached a bit. Yeah. And I just, the more time I was out of that environment, the more time I realized I didn't want to go back into it. Mm. And that was kind of the thing. And I was still almost about to go back somewhere. And it wasn't until the NBC work that I do now in America came up that I, if it wasn't for that, I probably would have gone back. But really, you would have had a shadow of the me you'd seen before. And it would have probably been a, a swan song of a few years where he played okay at times and declined and eventually finally made an official retirement. And so I just, it didn't seem the right thing for me. You know, rugby, I could still play rugby to a decent level, but do I ever think I'd play it to a great level once or twice, possibly? But the problem is if you ask me to play every week, no way. The, mm. the schedule's too hard now. And I think that was probably the, eventually the moment where I got the NBC gig. I still said, well, it's only a year contract. I'm going to stay ready just in case I have to go back because I don't know if that goes. I don't know what my next life mm. task will be. And I didn't ever really wanted rugby to be like, the job that you play for for money but at the same time it is your vocation and if you haven't got another one you might need it you know so it'd yeah. be silly to sort of run away from some of those paychecks if it was something you needed it's the same like me similar to me yeah <laughs> what ends up next what's the next what's next you know <laughs> you're just trying to figure out and so yeah. I stayed ready and then it wasn't after the NBC stuff well that I was finally ready to say right I'm done like I knew in my head I didn't want to go back unless I really had to you would have had to drag me back mm. into that environment full time yeah. I still love the game of rugby I still am obsessed about it in some ways yeah. but I just know that I can't be the best at it anymore and that's kind of what I enjoyed yeah, was definitely. trying to be the best or being the best in my position in the world drove me for so long yeah, and when yeah. I finally achieved it I had a couple games with that and then I was injured for the rest of my life where it wouldn't be that again. So it's kind of like, a, put that into like a, a nutshell, that's kind of what it was, you know? And so I eventually it was, now I'm okay with it, but at the time it was hard to really let go that you're not playing rugby anymore. Mm. Like it's mm. not the same. You don't enjoy it. Like, you know, those were hard things to really Is think that in. that quite depressing? Was that yeah. a moment, it, like, like a, I mean, for anyone having to retire at an age when you weren't, you weren't it's, prepared Yeah, it's to. quite traumatic, I'd say. Yeah. Um, it's just... Everyone wants to be mentally tough and strong and say, you know, mm. you just focus on the controllables. But it, it, it it's um it's pretty traumatic when you and it's not just the injury and the fact you can't play anymore, it's everything that comes with it. So if you think from seventeen you'd been in a team sport full time, mm. living with your mates, training with them, you've never gone to uni like normal people have. You know, you've i I've played at two teams my whole life, so those have kind of your core group of friends, how you socialize, how you interact. I lived in Northampton. All of a sudden now, I'm living back in London. You don't see your mates. Like, you know, it's just a different, it all hits you at once. Like, it's just how life-changing it is because your whole lifestyle's changed. And it, and, it, and the thing for me that was hard is all I'd ever known. It's yeah. not like I'd been at uni, mm. had a bit of real-world experience, found rugby, and then went back to whatever. Like, that's all I'd ever known as an adult. Yeah. So all of a sudden now you're faced with this, like, you, you don't know where to go or how it's supposed to be. But you're also trying to be the same mindset that's been successful for you mm. in rugby of that elite focus, drive, shut out all the other stuff and find the next goal and churn it is what you're trying to do. But really, you're not 
I wasn't, I didn't think, prepared for that in a lot of ways from the emotional or the social side of how, of how to handle it more mm. than the performance side. Did you have to cope with the expectation to always perform? Uh, hugely. And I think probably my inability to cope with the times when you couldn't perform was probably one of the, the things that helped lead to my frustrations and downfall was that I... I put pressure, more pressure on myself than anyone has ever put on me, if you put it in those yeah. things. So even in the biggest moments where I'm performing, performing, it's me who's making it feel like the biggest moment in the world, not the scenario. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what, on, on match days, and, and this is one thing I'm very good at with TV, with a lot of things, is I'm able to turn off the noise. Mm-hmm. If I'm fully engrossed and obsessed and it's my one thing, I can intensely focus at that one thing and ignore the rest Mm -hmm. i have a bit of that ocd in me when the rest of it doesn't bother me that's why when the game it was more traumatic in the week of me worrying myself about what if i didn't play well than actually any of the other pressure expectation on myself i think i put more of it on myself but that fear of failure is what drove me to do everything i could in the week to be prepared a lot of that I do think now is down to some OCD that I could I had like a checklist of a million things I had to do to feel like I was ready to go. But if I checked with those lists, I felt like I could walk through anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so then when it came to the game, I just turned everything off and I just focus on on the game and yeah. everything I knew in my head I had to do came out and I it would just work if that makes sense. But the the, the traumatic times were the times for me building up to the game because I'd be stirring myself up but it's Mm. it's actually kind of how I got the best out of me as well so it's a weird like weird thing that you probably didn't realize as much at the time but when you come full circle and have time to reflect on it you start to sort of decipher what was going on do you ever deal with anxiety uh yeah all the time all the time is that something that's come on later or is that I think it's something I've had my whole life but it's something I'm only aware of later in life of of where it has affected me and what it actually is or feels yeah. like if that makes sense i don't think yeah. if you'd said you get anxiety at the time when i was players i get anxiety i'm fine like, yeah but really do i get anxiety yeah all the time social yeah. anxiety performance anxiety yeah. um you know other like panic anxiety There's a, the, yeah everyone gets it I've, <laughs> yeah. I've come to realize like i don't think anyone's immune to it i don't think anyone's yeah. mastered it who hasn't put the time in to learn it and actually get better at it because i think it's too mm. easy to just happen do you know what i mean for the way we are as human beings and it's 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 i think understanding it has been the best thing that could ever happen to me because you know? yeah, now you're aware here, of actually. it and you know how mm. to you know at least you're aware of it before when it used to happen you didn't even know what was going on anxiety wise mm. or what anxiety can be like because for me it's quite physical anxiety some people have different yeah. things for me i actually feel it like so mm. it's a little bit um me too. My eyesight goes. Really? And I can't, so I can't see very well. But then, obviously, when I can't, when I get stressed, I literally don't see at all. Wow. And it's really weird. Sorry. <laughs> so it's like a physical thing yeah, that comes out of like you. Yeah, it's like a feeling. It's kind of almost a weight on my head and things, and a little bit of a stomach feeling I get, and yeah. I just know like it's what it is. But that maybe that's sense. our rage. I don't know. Maybe earlier days we didn't have it, and we did have it, but we never really recognised. That's exactly it. how I would say. It's, I think I, I I think at times might could be worth now than it was then because I'm older or whatever. But also at the same time, I just didn't I just didn't wasn't aware of it. And I guess to admit that as a rugby player, oh hugely, I think so. There's like a mixed thing with the whole anxiety, mental health. That I think mm. you'd be surprised at a lot of the cra- a lot of the rugby crowd is receptive to it and actually quite when someone comes out and speaks about it we're, we're actually pretty good at putting our arm down saying well done yeah. but at the same time you don't want to be the one that does it if that makes sense mm. and and because you feel like 
as much as you respect someone and you put your arm around someone, it's very hard for you to do that for yourself, you know, to, to put yourself out there because you are slightly, even if there there is a stigma deep down, You're or you just don't want to, you just don't want to show vulnerability. Yeah. And you respect people that do, but at the same time, it's very hard for you, if that makes yeah. sense. And, the, and I found that to be the hardest, that if someone called me and said they were struggling, I'd be the first guy to help them do anything mm. I can, whatever. But when it was myself struggling... I shut it in for too long, you know, and I yeah. didn't talk or, t- or rely on people. I, I tried to act like I was fine when you're definitely not. Yeah, so you did struggle with anxiety. Yeah, especially well. leaving. And it's not all anxiety. A little bit, I could say, is depression, stress. There's multiple uh-huh. factors, I think, of, of mental health. But some of the negative sides when I first left massively um, were issues I was dealing with that I just wasn't uh, open about or really confronting for a while, if that mm. makes sense. And depression in rugby is a lot of things. I went, I went to a brain injury co- conference recently, and it seemed that people like it's. It, it said that it was it was in um, the rugby world and things like that. They said that there was issues that people needed to change their ways and, yeah. and things. Is so, that something? Do you have you ever seen? Hundred percent. So the, it's. I think there's definitely evidence to prove about that the links between mental health, depression, and and uh, impacts to the head, no no damage, and that's something you have to be aware about. Mm-hmm. But I'd also say we have to be aware about it regardless of impacts to the head. And something that I have learned along the way is that it's all good saying we're, we're good with mental health. Most of, most of the stuff that I did sort of psychology, was sports psychology. It was more about on-the-day performance. It wasn't about the 95% of the time that I wasn't on the field and how I was as actual mental health as a person, if you know what I mean. And that's the area where I think rugby and everyone could learn more from is how to understand them, why they think that way, why are they emotionally wired, why do they react certain ways. When think when they do something or they have a bad incident or they have an argument or something stressed them, what like trying to decipher the cause of it and how you think to get the best to keep you in the best space to then go out and perform and do the things in the moment which we which mm. can help us as well but i think f- for most rugby players there still is a little bit of darkness on that day like the balance of your life away from rugby which i think mm. is almost more important than getting right than the small intricate things you can work on of in the mo- moment of performance mm. it's fascinating yeah it's really fascinating it and it's something that i've only really started to mm. to 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 be aware of and get full circle in so i'd say if we probably had this conversation a year or two later it'd probably be a lot more could go a completely different way or it'd be a lot more the uh you know detailed of of, of what exactly is going on at it the moment i'm just people, getting my hands around it yeah. I head, ha- just getting my head around it or getting grasp of it of of what's going on up there you know? well, i think at the moment for people um they it's definitely in the news at the moment isn't it a lot Hugely. of people are talking about american football all of that so that's yeah, well, that's the thing. It's inevitability of rugby and this impacts the head. Like, it's mm. inevitable. And so this is what I, I say is that the only criticism I would have of when I was younger is you weren't aware of the risks. Mm. So you, you played anyway, which I don't think is right. But I do think as long as we're you're, you're up front about the risks, we try yeah. and minimise them every way possible, which I still think there's huge ways rugby can adapt, mainly in training. Yeah. Um, because they're already trying in the games, but I think they've almost exhausted a lot of it. And there's not many areas they're going to get, uh, you know, good returns back on how they can mm-hmm. uh, change things in the actual game. But in the way we train, the season schedule, the time off mm-hmm. from contact, the way we manage post-concussion, post-impact to the head. I think those areas are areas we can still keep pushing forward. And that's a reality of the sport that yeah. I, if you said to me, would you go back and not play? Because no. no. 
Hell no. Do you know what I mean? Made me the man I am today. It molded me. It's given me the X factor that is allowing me to do the life that I'm able to do now. And and so, no, I wouldn't change it. But if anyone plays it, I think we have to be brutally upfront, honest about some of the risks and also be aware. I just don't think it helps. I just, I think it helps for the, the cuts and the scrapes. And there's an argument that some headgear might dissipate impacts, but Mm. what happens if you get kicked flush on the jaw? You know, like what difference, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't equate enough for real. There's just uncontrolled areas of contact where, where someone's stepping one way, someone's stepping the other, someone's Mm. got a split second here. Someone's got to make a tackle. In a contact sport, even in football, let alone rugby, those incidents can just sometimes happen because you're not, you don't know where the guy's going to be, and you're moving, and it's in this contact yeah. and everything. So, those areas that I just think are inevitable with rugby, yeah. and there's other areas we can definitely manage better to keep it. It's unlucky. It's unlucky. Yeah, isn't it? That's the but thing. it's also just something you have to be aware of. Yeah, and and if someone has a knock, just treating it as responsibly as possible. And also being aware that it might affect them, make them, you know, the depressive Memory, stuff, the, yeah. the mental... There's so many things. You just have to be as, as open and aware about it as possible and take it as serious as possible. How are you now supporting player welfare? Are you helping to do anything like that at the moment? Um, yeah, there's a few areas. I'm, I'm obviously very reasonably vocal. I think, I think one of the areas that I can actually help it is that I have a platform. You know, yeah. I have a social media platform. I'm involved in what you say, sort of the rugby media. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to voice my opinions in, in, in an arena where I, I don't have a coach to face on Monday after I've said what I honestly feel, do you know, and have to look him in the eye or, or you know, you know all yeah. the stuff that goes with being a current player. Yeah. Um, I'd say as well that I'm, I'm, I support in ways with the RPA. The big area where I want to invest is back in America where it's all kind of being, it's in the infancy of professional rugby's brain this year. Players' unions are coming up. I, w- I want to try and, and an area where you can actually change and, and help um, actually, you know, write the, the blueprint of the way the game's going to go. That's what yeah. I feel quite fortunate about in America is that I hopefully will have some involvement in say and how it, how it goes over there. Where in England, it's already a little bit established. Mm. And other than supporting your union and being vocal, there's not huge amounts you can do in player welfare right now. So how do you feel about the loss of your playing career? Or do you feel that it's enough to have played for the best team in the world for over 100 times? So this is the thing, you know, we say 100 games. Yeah, I was definitely fortunate enough to play over 100 um, professional games combined between different clubs, countries, um, international lines, everything. And, you know, it... I, I'm very proud of my body of work and whatever to do. There's always going to be what ifs about me as if I could have played more and not missed as much rugby. And I definitely feel I, I had 50 caps for me for England if I hadn't missed those games and certain things like that will always upset me maybe. And then watching the, the Lions in New Zealand and just four years ago, you were kind of on top of the mountain. And there's always things that make it hard and it's always going to be hard because you gave everything and anything I could have or find to try and get as much out of rugby as I could. But at the same time, now that I've kind of had two, well, it must be three years from my last game, like mm. real game for England, you kind of just have time to reflect and go full circle and just, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Like, I, I think I proved in 2013 at that time I was the best in the world at my position, which is part of my dreams. You know, I, I wrote, I wrote a, found like some old, 
goal notepads I had from London Irish yet young in the academy when you're like 18, 19. And, me, and my goal, one of my goals was to be to be world class. And I felt there was a time where I was definitely world class in rugby. Yeah. Game's moved on now and there's guys that are playing that are better than I could play then. Mm. But that's part of the game. But at the time where the game was, yeah, I do feel I was world class. And, and I think I achieved enough. I, would I like to win more than what? Yes. But back to what we full circle, what we said at the beginning, mm. I played my best game on the biggest stage I ever played at. And I think there's not loads of people that can say that. And so for me personally, I take that to heart with me for the rest of rest of my life. I, I don't know much about rugby, really. Um, but is 30 old? What sort of age is, is normal? I, so this is the thing. Right? So I stopped playing at 27, which is even younger, which most people would say is way too young to stop playing. Um, Problem is, is I play in a position that usually doesn't start. Traditionally, weren't, people weren't playing it at the time. Now it's changing till 24, 25. They were starting to play. I started playing at 19, 20. I was playing with the men at that position. So yeah. I had a fair good run of, you know, wear and tear on the body. But at the same time, yeah, I retired way too young. Way too young based on what I should have done and could have done and how it could have gone. Way too young. But. Yeah, that sport, you know, mm. you know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. There's things around your control. There's luck. There's bad luck. There's all sorts of things that can happen. Yeah. But I'll take the bad. I had some however good luck, so I'll take the yeah. bad luck that came at 27. You, know? you had an amazing career. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'm proud of it too. So you know, I, 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 if people when they actually get to know me or people that do know me, they knew how much I gave to that sport. Um, it consumed me. It, it stopped me from enjoying things in life if it wasn't going well or how I wanted mm. to, you know, because it was just so forever the 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 thing that I was chasing. So I'm okay with it. I did it. <laughs> I gave it everything I had. I don't think there's anything like I go, what if or what what do I have left? You know, it's more just what if those injuries or those moments had it come is the only thing that's sometimes harder. So tell me how you got into broadcasting. Um, So multiple real multiple sort of roads led to that place I would say um one of it was being injured for large parts of your career you actually did a bit of guest work for BT Sports Sky and and kind of started to get a feel for it and understand it also uh my sister works in sport TV production and then my long-term girlfriend through part, a lot of my rugby career, she is a presenter for Sky Sport. So I kind of had a little bit of an inside track of like what it actually took to do. Yeah. Um, and and I always kind of liked it. And I, and I felt like talking isn't an issue for me. I felt uh, there was stuff I needed to work on to get better at TV, speech, yeah. being articulate, being concise, different. But the actual ability to go out there and talk or do anything never, ever phased me, if that, if that made sense. So there was that. And then it was opportunities. When I stopped, I got to do a little bit more. And then the big catalyst came with NBC when they'd signed the American, the rights for America for the Premiership Rugby, um, looking for someone to, to do their broadcast from them. And part of the requirement or what would make it a lot easier was having a way to work in America. So whether it be a green card, mm. whether it be a visa, or whether it be a passport, which you know is actually very hard to get. Yeah. Well, lucky I have a passport because I was born there. So all I had to do was turn up on the day. Plus I had sort of the higher credentials and knowledge. And then I also felt I was suited to it. But as I said, I'm about to start my third season as a broadcaster, full-time broadcaster. Amazing. And I you now I feel like I've just started to conquer my craft. The It's a whole new skill set. I know rugby 
incredibly well. I've played Zelda 5. I feel I have a very analytical mind. I yeah. see the game. I can talk about it. I, I notice the little details. That side I'm good at. It was just the reps of how to um, present that to an audience and how to get it across as best as po- possible that took time. And I feel very comfortable and I'm happy with it. And it's just been a development curve of two full years at NBC, getting great coaching, great experience. And then also parts of me that will always come from rugby is that I will watch it back a million times. I will analyze, I will learn, I will go meet meet my producers to go through hard criticism just to get better. Because what you need to do, like any skill, you know, you've got to be like, if you want to master it and something that I do want to eventually hopefully master, you know, I wouldn't, I think I'd be naive to have mastered it now, but that's the goal. That's great. Very good. So, um, how are you, how are you now in yourself? How's life going for you now? It, it's good. I, I'd say if you, from the outside in, it must look great sometimes. You know, I, I live in Florida. I uh, have a nice place like on the beach in Miami. I fly up to New York to do my rugby uh, work for NBC. Uh, and then in the weeks, I have set up my own, a few businesses there. I have a, a business where we basically help kids around the world get into American universities to play rugby okay. as like a middleman agent yeah. service. I do some agent work for the pro league over there and some consulting and recruiting for coaches and different things. And then I also um, do a lot of scrum coaching and, and trying to build like an online learning platform for one of the things I know incredibly well, which most people don't, if that makes sense. So from the outside, it, it looks really good. I'm busy. I live in America. I've got loads of new friends. Um, I love training. I train a lot. You know, I do a lot of MMA training. That's how I keep fit these days is... is uh, you you can't I can't play rugby anymore. It's a team sport, and I I just can't be in a team. Like my schedule, my body. Mm-hmm. Where the martial arts is very individual, and okay. so it, it, that that suited me. As if I don't need to train because I'm stiff, I don't train. And if I feel great, I train. And you know, and yeah. and it's forever learning. Like one of the things I loved about rugby was, what I used to love about rugby was going mm-hmm. there every day, and being able to learn something, get better at it, and that weekend do it in the game. Mm. where I couldn't do that in rugby for the last couple of years, but in martial arts and training, I can do that every every day. So I get quite a little bit of satisfaction out of that. So all that stuff is going really well. Work, you know, training, lifestyle. Mm. But men- the mental health side is something that um, most people will never know. You know, that's mm. the thing on the outside in or inside out. You can't tell if it's good or bad. And there's been times where it hasn't been great. Yeah. Just And for stuff we've talked about and things along the road and just some things are out of your control as well. And... Definitely. All a handful of other reasons, from yeah. romantic reasons to everything, can mess mm. with what's going on going on up there. But if you ask me how I'm doing right now, and like where I'm getting to in the trajectory, mm. I think it's it's on it's on the upward curve and it's going well. I think it's only in the infancy of how well it could go, but at least I feel like I'm getting on that track. So, what advice would you give to someone who has had um, going through a life changing situation? Um. So I think a lot of people would say, oh, don't focus on the uncontrollables, you know, just focus on the controllables. But when you've got something which is so, you know, life-changing, I think that's just naive. I mm. think I think for my advice would be is that you need time to grieve. There's time where you, it's human, it, it's human emotion to grieve, to be upset, to be frustrated. I think to just try and switch those off and just focus on the next things that you can do well if some people can do that, like I shake your hand and say you are fantastic, but if someone's been through that, it takes a lot of time, the process to digest, to overcome, to accept. I think acceptance mm-hmm. is a key factor. And then when you've had that time, 
then it's the time that you have to set goals, set challenges, focus your focus on other things. But I think for me anyway, there was a time where I just had to get over it before I could focus on the next thing that was taking my mind off of it. It was too hard. It was too ingrained in my life yeah. and, and too much on my thoughts to not have that time where, yeah, I'm ridiculously upset or pissed off mm. or it will put me in a bad mood at times or upset me or I don't want to see anyone for a while or yeah. whatever because I just needed to get that out of my system. And then mm. once I feel like you get that out of the system, then you can be as constructive as you want in, in building the next chapter, really, yeah. which is what I've been trying to do is I've said to everyone is I want my next chapter to be more memorable than the first chapter, you know, and, yeah. and, and I, I love being remembered for rugby and I'm proud of that every day. But my goal is that eventually I, people or whatever is to about what you're doing now, mm-hmm. what I'm doing now and what I've done is, is what I want to be the sort of the focus point, not the rugby in yeah. 10, 15 years from now. So do you worry about any knocks to your heads later on? Is that a rugby thing? Do yeah, people I think, just don't worry I think about you've that? got to be aware of it. I think um, CTE, the repetitive lows to the head, the amount of concussions, the, the, all, the th- all the things that, you, that come with rugby, they're in the back of the mind. I, I think you'd be naive to just think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. The problem is we don't know who it's going to happen to. And, and what we're learning about CT is it does, not everyone reacts the same. My, a knock to my head could be completely physiologically differently like mine is to, yours. to yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Yeah. So, again, that is something that's out of my hands. Yeah, yeah. That's just life, isn't but it? But I am and aware of it. But I am aware yeah. of it. And I think if you're not aware of it, I think that's naive or stupidity but at the same time if you're stressing about it now and it's bothering you the whole time that when you're 50 60 70 80 some of these things might happen or younger i don't think that's the way to live either Mm -hmm. and i think i think it's it's being awareness is key but also we make decisions every day Mm. that harm our health in some way and people make choices lifestyle choices which can be detrimental to health do you know what i mean yeah it's another one of those. Yeah. You're aware of it, you know. A lot of people who smoke cigarettes probably know at some point they could get lung cancer. Yeah. Does it change them? No. Most people know. And so these are the sort of things I think about is right now I'm aware of it, but it's not it's not upsetting me or making me freak out. Yeah. Great. So um, obviously we talked a bit about your fitness. So what did you say? What was it you actually do to stay fit? So I just kind of train. I've always loved MMA. What um, is MMA? Mixed martial arts, so oh, like okay. UFC, yeah. kind of cage fighting, as some okay. would say. It is. I, it's probably one of the other sports I followed second close, like second closest to rugby. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, I need something to my my brain. I need something to to learn and be doing. Otherwise, I don't know. I it, I just get too sort of stressed out or focused by my. OCD focus needs to do something. And yeah. so for right now, that's the martial arts stuff. So I box, jiu-jitsu, wrestle, grapple. But doing about a year. And this was just tried doing weights and just trying to make that my new focus. But yeah. there was no competitiveness. There was no learning yeah. in it where you learn something and then you can apply it. And, you know, where martial arts is very much different. And it's a lot of the similarities between that and rugby, which I enjoy. Mm. It reminds me a lot of stuff as a kid of what I liked about rugby. But now I kind of like that for martial arts now if that makes sense yeah I have to stay really fit now yeah everything it's just really important yeah and it just keeps me healthy it keeps my weight down it keeps me lean I enjoy weights but not all the time and 
I, I live... No yoga classes with you then. Oh, I, yeah, I do <laughs> yoga. I can do splits almost now. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing. Okay. And uh, I can do a handstand. I've ah. been able to do a headstand since I play rugby, but I've just mastered the handstand now. <laughs> uh, and like, I, I enjoy the yoga. I do a lot of mobility. A lot of the mobility okay. I do is to be better at martial arts, mm. if that makes sense, because you need to be quite flexible for that. Yeah. So it's kind of come part and parcel, those two. But that that's the main thing I do to keep sort of active now. But then I just try and walk more and... Just keep act. I like to eat, so I can't sit still, if that makes sense. I'll just <laughs> balloon. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Thanks so much for coming along to the Longest Battle podcast. Um, every week I have a weekly gripe, something that's really got annoyed me. Yeah. Um, so something this week, the one thing that's annoying me is maths. Honestly, it's, it's only because at the moment I, I've had having to relearn everything, which is yeah. a bit of a pain, and maths is something which is pretty tricky. Um, obviously, you're pretty... Uh, you're, what degree did you do? What did I did you... history. Oh, history. Did my you math have isn't bad. Oh, is it's it? It's not like elite level, like where I took it as far as it can go, because eventually it gets very complicated, but I'd say like from a basic math point of view, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm reasonably actually okay at that. No, maths just re- literally, I can't, it just stresses me out, I can't do it. And But, actually, but no. you also live in an age now where it's a smartphone <laughs> tap away, Absolutely. and you've got it. You can Calculator. Prob- or just Siri. That's those things. Siri, what's something, I'm something, <laughs> and he'll tell you right there. It's been, yeah, it's been quite annoying, but that's my weekly grind and that's the one thing at the moment it's like putting it into the room 101 see that's the thing is so this is my thing about math uh-huh. I actually really like it okay only good. because from a historical point of view yeah. like you look back to the Greeks and like algebra and trigonometry and oh. those are all from from yeah. back then do you know what I mean <laughs> and they're still like applicable now yes we have machines that can do it for us yeah but there is something a little bit cool mm. about being able to work it out yeah. in my head that I do enjoy it's totally good not trying yeah not <laughs> trying to like make you feel bad or beef with you right. but it just felt like someone had to stand up for math a bit today all right <laughs> okay great I finish the podcast usually with a quote. And this week, um, it will be from the great Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I feel that that's quite important in the world. I feel that everyone needs to be following Muhammad Ali's quotes. I I, I like that. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I quite like that one. I've heard it before, obviously. Yeah. But when you actually think about it and you put it into perspective, float like a butterfly, it makes very good sense, yeah, you know? Yeah. And and you can apply it physically, mentally, <laughs> you know, the way you approach anything in life. So, did well you, done. Did you ever, um, in rugby, is there any, any mantra that you lived by? Anything that pops up? That's yeah. Something, anything that I... To... Well, this is what I had, because someone sent me a quote. It's been around... Well, I, I think it's, it's been said by other people. But yeah. the I, the person that I had it attributed to has always stuck with me because there's been times in my rugby career where I felt like I was done over or someone crossed me or whatever. But I never like was the type of person to strike back. Mm-hmm. If that means that even in post rugby life now, this is like the thing that I try and live. Well, I try and remind myself is is that so it's by Kanye West, but I know it's been said by other people because I googled it. Yeah. Um, but it's success is the best revenge. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I like that because instead of instead of focusing on the negativity or you know to get back or whatever, you use that to fire the machine further forward, which then in turn is the biggest 
you know, finger up back at the people that <laughs> that maybe you were bothered or have a gripe by. And I just kind of like that mentality. Yeah. So that, that's the one from me. Yeah, fantastic. Or Kanye, as we say. <laughs> or Kanye. Yeezy, yeah. as we like to call them these days. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming along oh, to it was an the, absolute pleasure. the podcast. And keep doing what you're doing. And uh, <laughs> no, it's great to be on here. Oh, that was the Longest Battle podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Emma's podcast. She's been through a hell of a lot over the past few years and listening to this makes all of her friends realise just what an inspiration she is. The Silver Lining Charity has helped Emma immeasurably, enabling her to meet lots of other people with brain injuries. The charity is currently raising money for a goodwill silver lining mission to India, just one project that will help those affected by brain injury to get involved in exciting and purposeful activities in the community. Activities that go a long way to invigorate, motivate and rehabilitate. The charity also helps family members and friends who are often overlooked. If you've enjoyed listening and would like to donate to the Silver Lining Brain Injury, now's your chance. Visit www.thesilverlining.org.uk Thank you.